My name is Matt, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And again, so good to be with you here this morning. And as Olivia said just a little bit ago, uh, greetings to those of you with us for the very first time. So good to have you here this morning. We consider it such a privilege that you chose to spend some of your weekend here with us this morning uh, in worship. And today I have the privilege of wrapping up uh, a three-week series that we have been in called Stretch, Higher and Further Together. And in this series, we've been wrestling through the ideas of what it means for us as a church to be intentional, to keep reaching, aiming, and stretching to be all that God has called us to be, together working to reach higher and further in our calling as followers of Jesus. And the reason that we're pursuing this is because it's easy for us to settle, right? It's easy for us to get into these places of life where we just begin to coast. Everything that life is throwing at us, everything that's coming our way, all the things that we're dealing with, our goals, our successes, uh, some of our struggles, some of our failures, we can just kind of get wrapped up in our own world and we can segment our faith as something that we do once a week or maybe even a couple times a month as we walk through the doors of the church. And yet I believe that our hearts beat, our hearts personally beat for more. That we were created for more. And I know that our heartbeat as a church definitely is beating for more. The numbers that you just saw uh, scroll across the screen in, in the video there. Uh, these are some numbers that we mention often around here. And yet I'm aware that some of you, especially those of you who are new around here, you may not really have connected yet to the context of those numbers and why they are so important to us and why they're central to this idea of stretch. 50,000. 50,000 is, is a hugely important number to us, and it has been since the beginning of this church. Back in the summer of 2010, six families gathered together to begin praying about this vision that God was beginning to birth in them of starting a new church. And at the time, it just kind of felt like this crazy conversation and calling, because as they looked around, it's like, okay, does Kosciuszko County really need another church? I mean, really? No? I mean, there's one on every single corner. And yet, during that time and during that season, the, the latest census data became available. And in that census of our county, the 70,000 people of Kosciuszko County had responded and 50,000 of the 70,000 had said they had no faith-based connection. No religion, no church, no, no sense of faith that they were pursuing or connecting with in their life. And suddenly, this vision, this idea of starting a church just became, we have to do this. I mean, there's the target right on the wall, 50,000, 50,000 people in our county, in our backyard who are claiming that they have not connected in a community of faith. They are not connecting to Jesus. And so Mission Point launched to invite everyone everywhere to life in Christ. And, and that has been the, the, the vision and the mantra for this church for seven plus years. And we are certainly serious about what it means to invite everyone everywhere. I mean, from a full-on global perspective to life in Christ. But our heart beats and breaks just a little bit when we think through the 50,000 right in our own backyard. 
So what does it mean for us to stretch on behalf of this 50,000? 140 million. 140 million is a little bit of a newer number for us, organizationally speaking, and yet it's been something that's been part of the DNA of our church since the very beginning. You see, 140 million are the number of orphans that there are in the world. And since the beginning, this church has seen families and people who have gathered and who have come together around this idea of what it means to advocate for the orphan and the vulnerable child and what it means to pursue and what it means to give our lives to create spaces of safety and love and hope for these kids. And as the years have gone on and as different things have risen to the surface, we're actually starting to see some momentum and some things just building up around this idea to the point that we're starting to believe that maybe, just maybe, we could actually make a real dent in this 140 million number. And so we're processing what does it mean for us to stretch on behalf of the 140 million. And church... Just yesterday, one of our families took in a newborn baby boy. They said a forever yes to this boy so that he, yeah, come on, come on. This is so good. This little boy is going to grow up not knowing anything different, but a family that has loved him and called him their own since the day he was born. He's not going to be a statistic in the system. See, his story has changed. And see, what I'm talking about here, can we say like 139,999,999, right? Because that's what this is all about. It's about faithful steps. It's about a faithful journey. It's about doing the things that we need to do, making decisions and putting ourselves in places that we can trust Jesus and what he has for us so that we can begin to go after this vision that he's given us as a church. So this year, we believe that the Lord is calling us to be more intentional in seeing this church be a movement poised and positioned to be a part of the miracle of reaching the 50,000 and the 140 million. And in this series, what we've talked about is that means that we need to look at what it means to care for each other well. We need to lean in to continue serving, serving each other, serving around here in the church, serving out in the community. We need to continue to take steps at further connecting to one another so that we can do a better job of caring for each other. We need to keep leaning in and trusting God for what it means to be more and more generous as we trust and we look to him to pour out the resources of heaven over this vision. And we need to continue to reach out to those who are far from Jesus. And that's what we want to spend some time talking about this morning, what it means for us to reach out. And gosh, this is, this is a fun one, seriously. It's, it's not even that hard. It's something that we often make hard, It's something that we make a little bit more complicated than it needs to be, but it's actually pretty simple if we can be willing to just open up our perspective just a little bit. And it's a critical one. If we want to join Jesus and take up this invitation to be a part of this redeeming work, we have got to grow some muscles in this area. 
If we want to be serious about reaching the 50,000 and the 140 million, this is an absolute must. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And if you don't have your Bible, as always, we will have the scripture up on the screen for you. Matthew 28. Now, if you are anything like me and you spend some time growing up in the church and you've sat through a number of Sunday morning environments and all kinds of different classes and Bible studies and perhaps missions conferences, you have already jumped to massive conclusions, as I've said. Let's open to Matthew chapter 28, because you're sitting there and you're going, ah, great commission. Okay, obvious, duh. Of course, he's talking about that. He's talking about sharing the gospel, everybody. Okay, take it all over the planet. It's a big deal. 10 minutes of lead up for that. All right, stretch. All right, I'm going to stretch out in this tiny little chair. And okay, whatever. Come on, pastor. Great commission. Come on. And listen, I get it. All right, I, I have listened to probably dozens, if not a hundred or more sermons and conversations and discussions and studies about the Great Commission. And when we laid out this series and, and started to begin to process through this passage that I was going to be going to, I thought, oh my goodness, like, what am I going to say about this passage that hasn't already been said or, or that is going to help, you know, raise our attention or our level of sensitivity to what it means to be a part of the Great Commission, but I'm telling you, friends, this is where I just love, love, love God's word. It is just this amazing gift and this tool that God has given us. And it is alive and it is living and it is breathing. The ancient rabbis used to talk about the scriptures like they were a jewel, a precious jewel that you could hold up and you could look at and the sunlight would shine through it. And as the sunlight shined through it, it would just send light shooting all different directions and it would bend and it would reflect and you could turn and you could look. And as you turned this jewel that perhaps you were familiar with and you had held before, all of a sudden you turn it and the light would shine a certain way and you would see something you had never, ever seen before. And you see, that's the living, breathing word of God. That's the Holy Spirit connecting with us and opening our eyes to things that maybe we've never seen before. And I had that experience as I studied through this passage. And that's why we are just so obsessed with this idea of you having a Bible. So if you're here today and you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. Because we believe it's just an unbelievably valuable tool for you to have. And all you need to do is go to the connection corner, ask for one, and it's our gift to you. All right, let me set this up. So we are stepping in at the end of the gospel of Matthew. Jesus has died, risen from the dead. Now, throughout the different gospel accounts in the book of Acts, there are eight recorded uh, instances of Jesus appearing after his resurrection, over a 40-day span before he ascends to heaven, okay? Eight different times that he appears. And like most things in scripture, historians debate the sequence of these appearances. What order did they happen in? And I think the first one is, is pretty obvious and, and we'll, we'll dive into that. So we're gonna show up here at the tomb. 
the tomb where Jesus' body was laid after he was crucified. And we check in with two of the Marys. And by the way, if you were a woman back in those days, that was your name. You were just called Mary, all right? It's like, you know, my brother Daryl, my other brother Dale. It's like back then it was just Mary, my other sister Mary. That's just the way it was. So we're going to check in on a couple of the Marys. Matthew chapter 28, verse 5. And as they approach the tomb, they see the stone has been rolled away and an angel approaches them. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come over and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Okay, so the only thing I want to capture here in this is the the repeated statement that both the angel and Jesus make to the Marys. Hey, listen, Jesus, he's alive. I'm alive. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Go tell the disciples. Go tell my brothers to head to Galilee. All right, Jesus will meet them there. I will meet them there. It's something repeated twice right there. Now, Jesus, just a few days before, before his arrest and his crucifixion, he's at the the last supper with the disciples in the upper room, and he gives notice to this as well. Matthew 26, verse 32. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And so it's kind of the only one of these appearances that sort of has a a date on the calendar, if you will, a location on a map of, hey, this is where I'm going to meet you, head there. Well, according to the timeline presented in the Gospel of John, it would seem to me that he appeared to the disciples possibly twice before that, okay? They are hiding behind locked doors in Jerusalem, and Jesus just suddenly appears to them. Okay, now you got to think, these are Jesus' followers, the, the people who have identified him as the Messiah, the hope of the world, God's gift to humanity to come and to redeem the mess that people found themselves in, and then everything just gets wrecked when Jesus dies. And so the religious leaders of that day who are responsible for getting Jesus arrested and killed are also working to kill the movement of Jesus to wipe it out. So these guys, they're in hiding. And so Jesus appears to them behind locked doors, just appears in Jerusalem. He talks to them. He lets them touch him to see his wounds, asks if he can have anything to eat. Because I guess being dead for a few days makes a guy hungry, you know, and you don't want to be hangry. Even the savior of the world needed something to eat. So they get him something to eat, all right? So I, I think he appears to them twice, And then after that, I believe that this meeting in Galilee is something that happens soon after, this predetermined meeting, something of really significant importance because something that was mentioned three times before it happens. Jesus calls his disciples to go somewhere like he often does, and they do it. So many fascinating things about this to me, this this journey, this meeting in Galilee, From Jerusalem to Galilee is about 70 
miles. 70 miles. Now remember, we're not living in a day and age of Uber, okay? It's not just like, hey, let's get a ride up to Galilee. No, they are making this trek by foot. It would have been about a three-day journey. And the request of go to Galilee meant they are coming out of hiding to now walk by foot 70 miles north. And in this moment, I just wonder, how are they doing? What are they thinking? What must be the process going on in their mind? What are the discussions as they're sitting around the campfire for a couple nights making this journey? Certainly they're looking over their shoulders, wondering and worried who's watching them. And as they're making their way north, hoping to rendezvous with their risen leader, they have to be wondering what, what in the world is going to happen next? Is Jesus even going to be there? No answers. No clarity. Just another calling to follow Jesus. To, to listen to him. To, to do what he asks them to do. And another fascinating element to me is he's bringing them back to the beginning. This is the place where many of the disciples met Jesus for the first time in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. The place where he called them to drop everything and follow him. And so we'll pick it up in verse 16 where they show up in Galilee for this meeting. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And there it is. The Great Commission, one of the most famous passage, passages of Scripture, such powerful words packed into this command. But before we process some of that a little bit, I want to consider something that I'm telling you, I've just never caught or seen this before. Back to verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go which is just so fascinating as we see this interaction with Jesus and his disciples in mountains. If you remember in the first week of this series, Kondo talked about this ascent up this high mountain to, to be a part of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ and just the struggle and pain it must have been to go up this mountain to get to the mountaintop. And then last week we talked about this miracle, the feeding of thousands of people that's happening on this mountainside as Jesus is teaching. And once again, he's calling them back to this mountain, to, to, to take this hike, this unknown, mysterious hike to meet him. And in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus shows up in Galilee as promised. Some of his closest friends and followers, people who have been doing a life with him for over three years, they arrive with mixed feelings. Worship, 
and doubt. Some worship, some doubt. I think quite possibly it's a mix of both for a number of them, worship and doubt. They've just come out of hiding and they've made this three-day trek to find Jesus. So clearly there is this sense of devotion, a belief, a stirring of hope. But these feelings are also met with hesitancy, probably a a sense of uh, fear and and maybe some second guessing, especially for some of these guys arriving home, arriving to the place where they dropped everything to give up their lives to follow Jesus. And now as they're in this trek and they have this feeling of people are coming after us to kill us, to get rid of us, to be done with us. They have to be entering some of their homeland and just seeing some of the scenes and feeling some of the senses and some of the smells and just having the sense of why. Surely their hearts were stirred by why did I even leave this place to start with? I don't know about you, but I can relate to this. We are called to follow Jesus. We're called to obey his commands. We're we're called to trust in his name and to worship him, to give our lives to him, to live differently than the rest of the world, to lead with love and grace and forgiveness, to sacrifice, to be generous, to live with open hands. We're called to go places where Jesus says he will meet us. We're called to worship, and yet there are times where we wonder, is Jesus going to show up? Is all of this real? Is this actually going to happen and and, and work out? I mean, the disciples got to be in the physical presence of Jesus, to see him rise from the dead, to touch him, to interact with him, and they find themselves struggling with doubt. Surely some 2,000 years later, living on ancient stories, we too can relate to what it feels like to wonder if we're crazy for living this way. But, but maybe, just maybe, the, the hope we find in this message is true. I, I mean, could it be that the, the Savior has risen and He is alive and He is waiting to meet us in the places that he's called us to go. And see, I think in a room this size, surely we are mixed in this tension, just like the disciples of worship and doubt. Worship and doubt. And yet some of us have a lifetime of experiences where Jesus has shown up. We, we have experienced his promises to be true and his presence in our lives to be real. And, and so many of us, that's why we come filled with thanks and praise, ready to pray and sing and, and wanting to make right our wrongs and humble ourselves in confession, ready to give generously, ready to profess our faith in circles of community because we've experienced that. Because in our lives, we've seen Jesus show up. We've seen Jesus fulfill his promises. Some of us here are are still seeking. We've tasted some of the hope of Jesus, but we're not yet convinced. We're still wondering. Some have been burned by a relationship 
that professed faith in Jesus? Are some of us even burned by a church? Possibly even this church. And the pain and frustration has you not sure where you fit in. And so some come in filled with some doubt and fear. And yet we all gather together and we worship. You see, I believe that is just this beautiful, messy, real picture of discipleship. You see, Jesus shows me that in the way that he responds. Look at what he says to this mixed up bunch of disciples. He gives them the same commission. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So amazing to me how Jesus handles this tension with his disciples. These guys who have journeyed with him, these guys who have experienced just about everything you could experience. He doesn't separate them. You know, he, he, he doesn't pull aside, you know, the, the, the good guys who've got it all together and they're settled in their faith and they're, they're good to go. He doesn't go like, all right, you guys just hang over here for a second while I straighten out the doubters, okay? He, he, he doesn't look over me like, all right, you guys um, riding the struggle bus, okay? I mean, seriously, really? Like, you touched me, I'm here, you saw me eat a sandwich, like, come on, what, what else do you need? What do you not get here? See, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He, he doesn't challenge them to get it together. He doesn't press into them to have more faith. He doesn't hold a Q&A session to clear up some of the doubts. He doesn't crank out one more miracle to renew anyone's beliefs. And maybe most importantly and most impressively is he doesn't send anyone away. He calls them to the same great commission. He does the same thing that he always does. He gives an invitation. He invites his people to join him in the great work of redemption. He doesn't give a lot of answers. He doesn't even come close to answering and clearing up every question. He gives a simple command. And even in that command, in his loving grace, he makes a promise to be with them every step of the way. There's so much to unpack in these couple of verses, and I'm sure many of us have heard that in a variety of ways, and not to cut short anything on what it means to, to go into all the world, or, or the power of all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. The, the piece I would ask you to consider today is the simple phrase found in verse 19. Make disciples. Make disciples. The language and the verb structure of this passage really heavily points to this phrase as being the big deal. And if we're gonna stretch and we're gonna reach further and higher together, we must take this command seriously. If we are gonna lean in and make a dent in the 50,000 and the 140 million, this command has to be sitting at the forefront of our minds and be a part of our daily journey. So what does it mean? It means being intentional 
about leaning into relationships and sharing the gospel in our spheres of influences. As I said before, we, we can make this harder than it really is, but I think in its simplest form, it means to be intentional about leaning into relationships and sharing the gospel in our spheres of influence. Charlie gave a great sermon as we launched our new year about being intentional to share the gospel this year. And he challenged us to begin thinking about and praying about specific people that we wanted to share the gospel with this year. And yet I know for many of us, we find ourselves in this variety of mixed responses of, I I don't know how to do that. Or, Or I'm too scared to do that. Or I have too many issues of my own that I just need to iron out. Like, I'm not qualified. I'm not there. I'm not ready. And I get it. All of those are real, valid things to feel. However, I think if the disciples can show up in the physical presence of Jesus mixed in a spirit of worship and doubt, and Jesus can look at them and respond in, you know, a really kind Jesus sort of way that I'll just summarize as saying, hey, knuckleheads, go make disciples. Quit making it so complicated. I get it. You're at different places. I get some of you are all in and you're just leaning forward. Give it some time. You'll probably return to a moment of doubt. I know some of you are doubting and you're struggling, but you have experiences. You have things in you. You have been through things And if you let the spirit move in you and return to the truth of those moments, you'll have what you need. You see, I'm pretty sure he'd lean in and he would say the same thing to us. But you may say, hey, wait, 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 but my life is, my life's a mess. Okay. I'm really, really glad that you're here. Truly. Please find someone to talk about that and open yourself up to being discipled which is just a really fancy way of saying find someone who's walked a little bit further down the journey than you and and let them begin to come alongside you in your faith journey and help you in your walk. I I just mentioned Mike and Meyer Taylor, married for 36 years, about to teach a marriage class. You, You think maybe those of us who have been married say, I don't know, 35 years to zero years could maybe get something out of that? See, that's discipleship. That's lives coming together. That's opening up the story of what Jesus has done, the ways that he has shown up and holding that out freely so that others can take part in that miracle of grace and love and hope. But you might say, but wait, I just have so many questions. Awesome. Again, I'm so glad that you're here. But don't just come and go and carry those questions. Find someone to talk to who can begin to answer a few questions for you. But more than just answering the questions, better than just answering the questions, someone who can talk and walk with you to the place where you can begin to understand that following and trusting Jesus, things don't always have to be clear. Maybe you're saying, hey, I'm I'm good with Jesus. I just don't know how to share the gospel. Or I'm just too scared. Okay? If you want to learn to share the gospel in what I believe to be a truly effective making disciples sort of way, build build relationships with people and be intentional about sharing your story. 
What do I mean by that? Share your success. Share your, share your failures. Share your dreams. Share your pain. Share your story. Share your story. There is power in your story. Consider the Me Too moment, movement. Consider the Me Too movement for just a moment. A growing community of people that, that have just begun to take up the national conversation in just a pretty major way. This growing community of people sharing horrific stories of abuse. But in their stories, they're finding hope and freedom from years of pain and bondage. And this movement in its simplest form is being fueled by people willing to speak up. What if we could find the strength to tell our Jesus stories? What might happen to the world around us if people caught a glimpse of the power of Jesus in our lives? See, I could tell you how Jesus has called me to a variety of just crazy places that have led me to this twisted path of video and event production and pastoral ministry. What? Okay. And yet, he's met me in each one of these places. He showed up just like he said he would. I could tell you how several of my ventures that just have utterly failed, where I just fell flat on my face, but because of my identity in Jesus, I'm not defined by any of my dumb decisions or failures. And he fills me with hope and vision to keep dreaming big. I could tell you how we moved our family from everything and everyone we knew for me to take a job here at Mission Point. And yet what we didn't know was that Jesus was growing this vision in Erica to launch an art studio. I could share with you how with not enough time, not enough money, not enough resources, to pull it off, Jesus has opened every door to that studio. And we've had the privilege of connecting with over 2,000 people since April of last year. And in those moments, we've started to build relationships with people who are finding hope and healing in this place. Wasn't even on the radar, but Jesus showed up. I could share with you how Eric and I have lived through some of the most ridiculous fights where we have said just some really hurtful and terrible things to each other. But because of Jesus' presence in our lives, we keep seeking out forgiveness and making a choice to tune, to change the tune of our fights, to fight for our marriage rather than against each other. I could tell you time and time again how Jesus has provided for us not in the ways that I would have dreamed or necessarily scripted it out, but in ways that he has given us exactly what we've needed when we've needed it. I could share with you how our journey into foster care has been one of the single hardest things that we have ever been a part of. But Jesus has used it to shape and change our family forever. You see, Jesus is all over our crazy, mixed up, messy story. And we often show up to the party filled with doubts. And yet my calling is the same as yours. Make disciples. Make disciples. If we could put a map of northern Indiana up on the screen and highlight everywhere that we are living. I'm talking about our neighborhoods, our places of work, our schools, the clubs, groups, memberships that we're a part of. 
we would see that we not only have got this county covered, we've got it surrounded. And if we zoomed out a little bit further and we added to our map all of our college students and their hometowns and the places they will go back to, the places they will travel to this summer, their internships, their future jobs. And then we added in all of our travel, where we're gonna go on vacation, our holidays, family and friends that we're going to visit. Add in business trips, the travel that we're going to do. Some of us I know are going on mission trips this year. Some of us are traveling internationally. If we backed up and we looked at this map, I think we would be amazed just to see the coverage of the Mission Point map. We'd probably give Verizon a run for their money. We are already everywhere. Imagine if we shared our Jesus stories everywhere that we already are. Thousands upon thousands would hear. We don't need God to stretch our reach. We need him to stretch to compassion, our compassion to care and our courage to share where we already are. We're already there. We just need to step up in what it means to share with the people that are already in our spheres of influence. And seriously, when we think about the 50,000 and the 140 million, it comes down to a simple numbers game and our willingness to stretch ourselves and sharing our stories and the hope that we have in Jesus. We want to be a church that invites everyone everywhere to life in Christ. And we certainly love it when you invite people to come to church. And please keep doing that. But to reach the 50,000, 140 million, we need to be stretching to make direct invites, not just to church, but to experience life in Jesus. And it's not something that we should save up for the professionals. I hope when you hear my examples, what you hear is, I'm just like you. I'm just a normal person going through a faith journey, struggling through worship and doubt and what it means to give my life to Jesus and every opportunity that I have. And sometimes I do better than others. And sometimes I fall flat on my face. But the experiences that I have in Jesus tell me that he is faithful to show up if I'm willing to accept the invitation that he's held out for me to be a part of the work. And the same is true of you. This can happen anywhere and everywhere. Your coworkers, your peers, people in your neighborhood, fellow students, teammates. They just need to hear the story. And yet I realize there's some anxiousness in what it means to tell the story. During Jesus' ministry, there's a moment where he actually commissioned the disciples to go out on a ministry trip. He gives them a variety of instructions, but two things that just pop out to me for our discussion here today, I just want to cover them really quickly, found in Matthew chapter 10, the first one in verse 8. He says this to his disciples as he's sending them out, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. I love this. As he sends them out, this gives such an amazing perspective. Look what you have. Everything you have in following me, love, forgiveness, hope, what did you do to earn that? Nothing. It was given to you freely. So be in a posture of giving freely. Just hand it out to anyone who will listen. Freely you have received, freely give. But what about people who, who disagree and, and want to put up a fight? 
Okay, verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Move on. Answer questions. Be willing to be challenged. Be humble in your response. But at the end of the day, your job is not to convince anyone of anything. Your job is to give freely. Seriously, how often do we get this wrong? It's the Holy Spirit that changes people's minds and hearts. It's his work. It's his ministry in their lives. But he can use you and he can use your story to be a catalyst, to be something that moves someone. So just do your part and share your story. What you freely received, freely give. So for those of you sitting in doubts and fear today, you got here somehow, some way, and yet you find yourself like the disciples in this intersection of worship and doubt, and you're just not sure what to do about it. Please don't leave here without taking a step towards beginning to resolve that tension. Please don't leave this building without letting someone know and giving us a chance to talk with you. And I realize that's a hard thing. That's an awkward thing. What does that even look like? You know what? There's a really discreet, simple way you can do it. Grab a worship card, fill out the card, give us your name, email address, your phone number, and just write on the back, I'm struggling. I have some doubts. I need someone to talk to. And we'll get in touch with you. You can drop it off at the connection corner, guest services, whatever. Don't leave this place without taking a step to begin to resolve some of those tensions. For the rest of us here, who needs to hear the story this week? Who needs to hear your story this week? Who is out there, their their, their life is just leaning forward, waiting at this intersection, waiting for Jesus to show up in some way, and they need to hear your story. Who is that? What are places that this week you need to just show up and trust that Jesus is going to meet you there? Go ahead and just bow your head, close your eyes. Take a moment to just consider and, and think about those questions. Who needs to hear your story? What's a place in your life you need to show up and trust Jesus to meet you there? I'll pray for us in just a moment. Father, we thank you so very much for your loving pursuit of us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and all that we have in him. Thank you for the honesty of this passage. The reality of seeing your disciples show up in worship and in doubt. And yet you embrace them right where they are. God, I love that about you so much that you accept us exactly as we are, exactly as we show up. But you love us too much to leave us there. So Father, give us the courage to lean into the next steps for us individually. And I thank you that you know what that is for each person here. 
God, whether we need to wrestle through some doubts and some questions and we need to find some people to shoulder up with to share some experiences or we need to get to work and what it means to build relationships and share the story of Jesus Christ in us. God, move us in that way. I pray a very short time from now that we could look up and just be amazed at the miracle that you are doing in and around and through us in only ways that you can do it. Find us faithful in these things, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.